Hey everybody, this is Kim Blackwell and Louis Extravaganza and this is Work, Work, the podcast. Voices for the voices that go unheard. Work the Podcast is sponsored in part by Oscars, a restaurant and event venue in downtown Palm Springs. Oscars plays host to a variety of events throughout the week, including live blues music on Monday evenings, a female celebrity impersonator show called Oscars Cabaret on Friday and Saturday nights, a fabulous drag brunch called The Bitchiest Brunch on Sunday mornings, and a world-famous tea dance on Sunday nights from 4 p.m. to 8 p.m. For a complete list of their events and dinner menus, please visit oscarspalmsprings.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Work. And uh, Kim, you're looking especially snazzy and fabulous today. I managed to pull a little something together. (laughs) Yes. And it must be because we have Greg Butler in the room today. Born in Detroit, Michigan, Greg learned early on how to maneuver around his alcoholic upbringing and find solace in his first addiction, which is fantasy. Greg gravitated towards and sought refuge in dance and started his dance journey by taking karate classes of all things. I know we're going to have to get into that. His career is the stuff of dreams and has spanned over 20 years. Greg is a dancer, singer, actor, choreographer, and director, and has worked with industry icons such as Bob Fosse, Gwen Vernon, Cheetah Rivera, B.B. Newworth, Joel Gray, and Ben Vereen, just to name a few. Jesus. Mm. You work with Jesus? Okay, man. He worked with Jesus. <laughs> I don't look that old, do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome, Greg. I call him Jay. Okay. Yo, Black don't crack. Hi. Hi. <laughs> oh, my God. It's so good to be here. It's so good to have you here. Thank you. I've been, I just have to say this right off the bat. I've been listening, and you all rock. And I always come prepared with inspiration. For me, it helps me. So I need to read this. I was watching the Toni Morrison, um, the Pieces I Am documentary, which is amazing. Sonia Sanchez said this about Toni. There are some people who are really the blessed ones who are put here to make us really review ourselves and walk upright finally as human beings. Mm. That for me is the highest calling we can have. And honestly, I believe that's what you all are doing here in your way with this podcast. Oh, that's so awesome. Seriously, Thank because you. I listen, I've been listening, I'm watching, I pay attention. <laughs> and the one with everyone has hit me in so many ways and touched me, but Carlton's was really amazing for me. Yeah. I mean, it made me cry. Yeah. When he talked about that divine strategy. Yes. That is exact. It was just another way of saying another comment on my perspective of what my God has done in my life. Right. You know, and it wasn't until I grew up and went through some things and found tools in my life that I was able to have perspective on that because, you know, when I was young, I was full of fear, I was angry, I was disappointed, and I would pray to God, help me, get me out of this, and he wasn't doing it in my time. Mm. Right. So I felt he wasn't there. Yeah, but you know what they say, you know, in God's time. Right. Yeah. And it takes time, a lifetime sometimes, to figure that out. So in that little inspiration there is a phrase there that says to walk upright finally. Do you think that hit you because of what has happened in your childhood growing up in Detroit? Definitely. I'm already getting emotional. Um, <laughs> man, you know, I grew up in Detroit, Michigan, 1962. My birthday is March 2nd. I accept gifts. Um <laughs> And, you know, it was a time in Detroit. Come on, it's the 70s in Detroit. And um, we were all black. And uh, everything around me was black. Yes. And I was a beautiful, young, free spirit who did not look like, act like everything around me. Mm. And 
my mother, my father, God rest them, they both have passed. I love them. I've done the work around them. I've forgiven them. So everything I say now is not to beat them down, right. but this is my truth. Right. Yes. Because Jimmy Lou, Thomas Lewis, and Gregory Kenneth were good. And we were good before they died. So I just want to make that clear. Are because those your brothers I'm, and sisters? That's my mom and dad. Oh, that's your mom and dad. Because okay. I may throw down on them right now. So. Yeah. <laughs> yes, my mother and father didn't know what to do with this little boy who loved to wear clothes that flowed, who danced around the living room, who sang and looked for ways to escape they didn't understand why I was escaping because they were in their addiction of alcoholism. Uh -huh. So when mom and dad would drink, get drunk, and then start fighting, and, and we're talking, old, my mother and father from Columbus, Georgia, moved to Detroit. And here's the real tea. They moved to Detroit. My mother, oh, God rest, oh, she's, here we go, Jimmy. My mother and her friend, Willie, were dating. Willie was gay. My mother moved to Detroit with Willie because Detroit was booming, right. you know, the auto world. They thought the dreams would be bigger and that their opportunities would be greater. So my mother married Willie, knowing that he was gay, for two reasons, A, to get out of Columbus, Georgia, and B, to protect him. You know, I, I told her later when I found this out, I was like, okay, you're getting down on me for being gay, and you were like the original fat hack. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I was like, come on, Jimmy Lou. <laughs> yeah, uh, And then things didn't work out between the two of them. You know, and wow, I think? I know, uh, right? <laughs> I spoke to Willie about this, and he said he tried, and they did try. Yeah. But it did not work. No, as so many people did in that, in oh, that time. You come know. on now. Yeah. So, but they were in Detroit. My mother goes to a party, and she sees these two men in uniforms. She is attracted to one of them. He's kind of not giving her the business. But the other one is and came up and spoke to her. That was my dad. Thomas Lewis. So they started talking and then dating and then oops, I came along and then they got married. Okay. Um, so my mother, I always feel like my mother was living a life of dreams deferred. You know, <laughs> the, yeah. the man that she was attracted to was not the man that came up to her. Yeah. Was and that... she settled. Wow. Well, even the first marriage, I mean, marrying Willie, it was never yeah, going to be well, a, I know. a real love marriage, right. you know. And here's something that, again, I did not understand as a little boy, you know, that this woman had first married a gay man. Right. Had dreams and hopes. They didn't work out. And then she, quote unquote, got rejected by someone that she was attracted to. And then someone else comes and she kind of settles. Yeah. You know, but she did love him, she says. You know, she finally learned to love him. Right. So then I come along. And I am a free spirit, and I keep saying that, you know, just living my little life and just being like, wee! And um, she is confronted with her first husband, basically. You know what yep. I mean? Yep. That kind of, oh my goodness, this is what I saw in Willie. How do I deal with that in my little boy? Mm. And it didn't go pretty. You know, it was not... Between our conversations and my mother insisting, my mother, I talk a lot about my mom because my mom was a dominant parent. My father, he was there physically, but emotionally, spiritually, not really there. He and was is, kind of the bread maker. Is that because of his alcoholism or just no, because? No, it's because of his mannerisms. I it's see. so funny because I am so much like my dad. Uh -huh. I am very, I'm an isolator. My brother is exactly like my mom. They have, they are quick to anger. They are quick to judge. They, I love you, Tommy. And they are quick to come to a conclusion or understanding of what the situation is. Right. <sighs> My dad and I pulled back. So my dad, when he drank, he went to the bedroom and isolated because he didn't want any problems. My mother would slowly drink throughout the evening after she got home from work and I got home from school. And she would get angrier and angrier and angrier as the evening went along. And was she the type where Tommy's trying to go in his room and she's following behind like, look, 
uh-uh, we ain't we ain't finished. Were you there? Because that's exactly <laughs> what happened. And I'm sitting in the living room going, please stop. Yeah. I mean, five, four, three, you know, six, eight, eight, seven years old going, oh, wow. please don't do that. Yeah. Don't go back there. Yeah, just don't leave go, it alone. Please, because this is going to turn into ugly. Right. And I'm going to have to take care of it because that's what happened. Yeah. So the drunker she got, she uh, would antagonize him. Yeah. It's like she needed a reaction from him because my dad wouldn't give one. Well, I think that's the thing. What happens a lot of women, you know, he was this probably passive guy Fair. and she wanted him to step up, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And... Even if it was a negative reaction, it's it was a reaction. A, it's yeah, a reaction. it would have been a reaction yeah. all the same. But see, I didn't see that. I kept saying, thinking, why are you doing this? Why are you antagonizing? Why are you poking the bear? Yeah, yeah, don't poke the bear. Don't poke the bear. Oh, man. And, it wa- and then when he would, she would hit him, and then wow. he would hit her back. And then she would go to the place of, see, see what you did? And I'm sitting there going, but you hit him first. Yeah. If you hadn't have done this, now this, what's happening right now, would not have happened. Because my mom and dad went hard. I mean, if mom went to the kitchen, I knew she was going for the knives. If she went to the front, it was her gun. Ooh. And how long were they married? I moved to New York uh, when I was 19, 20. I think they finally separated and divorced when I was 20, 21. Oh, my God. So they stayed married all All throughout your your childhood. Yeah. 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 It wasn't until I moved to New York. My brother called and said, Mom and Dad getting a divorce. And I was like, are you? They wait till I (laughs) move. You should have done this. I had to deal years. with all the... Yeah. I should have moved out sooner. I was sooner. so mad. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I was like, well, happy life to y'all. Yeah. Because I'm not coming back. <laughs> yeah, it was intense. It was intense. Now, I mean, speaking of intense, you were... You suffered a lot of trauma as a youngster. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, I know this is a really sensitive subject, so if you do not, not want to talk about it, please just let us know no the interesting thing about this is i am in trauma therapy uh, i've been in for probably the last two years dealing with these issues that have come up because what has happened between the trauma of my parents and the reactions and the situations and circumstances i had to deal with there Mm -hmm. and then being raped at nine years old i shut off a lot of my feelings and my memories got lost. Yeah. And it's very common for um, trauma victims to have specific memories and very little memory. Right. And I didn't realize that um, until I got into therapy around, especially the trauma work. Um, I call my brother the keeper of the memories, the keeper of the keys, because I have to call him sometimes and go, okay, what actually happened around here? And what age was I when this happened? Was it just mm. you two? Yes. In the house. In the household. He old, older or uh, younger. younger. He's younger. right because you came first. Yeah. They, yes. And I, so when things happen, when, you know, my dad would beat my mom and push her down the basement steps, you Ooh, know, yeah. I was the one that had to step up, call the police, make sure she was okay, get her up or leave her there, clean them up, get the liquor out, you know, and I had to make my bro- make sure my brother was okay. And then we had a cousin, Bessie, who when things got really bad, I could call her and she could come get us. Um, and even with all of that, and I didn't know what was going on. I mean, this was just the way life was. Right. And I was sitting there with my mom at times at, you know, seven, eight, nine going, being her Ayanla fix your life, it's like, Ma, you need to, we need to go. You need to stop. You don't need to stay here. But yep. I didn't understand what that was building in me, this um, need that I had to be caretaker for both of them. Right. And when I got older, I was so angry. By the time I left to go to New York, I was so angry and didn't understand why. Didn't understand. It took years, and I'm still uncovering all of that. Because you, you had know? nobody to take care of you, and even no. with the being raped at night, there was no yeah. one there to protect you. And that was such a weird thing. I was at my parents' house, uh, um, my cousin's house, with my dad and my brother. My mother didn't go on this trip, and forgive me if I close my eyes when I talk, but sometimes, yeah. Uh, Don't worry, nobody can see you. I, oh, that's right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> 
Just trying to lighten it I up a little you. bit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I I remember. I was wearing my favorite brown shorts with the blue accents on the pockets. And I had gone to the store with, I think, my dad. And I actually saw this guy in my peripheral. Okay. I love that word, peripheral, because I <laughs> barely say it. And I know. <laughs> I love her peripheral. <laughs> peripheral Johnson. And I remember noticing that he noticed me okay See, this is the thing this was a stranger yes a okay. stranger mm -hmm. the thing that i realized and i will say this with my mom and my dad and um i never felt that they saw me yes because i would say to them if you love me you would stop doing this you, you wouldn't drink you wouldn't get drunk you right. wouldn't fight if you love me you wouldn't do this right if you, and they kept doing it so my little head was going well you don't love me, and I'm invisible. So on this particular day at age nine, I'm with my dad walking down the street in my little brown shorts that I felt I looked good in. Your Gucci cutters. Okay. <laughs> and this guy, no, I can tell whatever that thing is. Right. Yes. And when he sees me. Yeah. <laughs> so we go to the store, we go back, and then my some I, somebody gave us money for candy, and my dad said, just go with your brother. So I go back to the store, and again, he's there, but now I'm with my little brother. And this is where I used to have my conflict because I felt like I encouraged him. <laughs> but see, I wanted to be seen. This little boy just wanted to be seen. I didn't want to be raped. Now I understand. Well, of course. Absolutely, yes. In a child's mind, though, when you think, yeah, of course, you put the blame Yes. On your, yes. Uh huh. So he sees me. I go in the store. I come out with my brother, and he says, "Who are you?" And I said, "My name is Greg." And he was like, "Well, are you? You're not from this neighborhood." And I was like, "No." And he was like, "I say I'm here visiting my cousin." And he's like, "Well, I have to take you to my mom's house to make sure you're supposed to be in this neighborhood." Oh and I'm wow. Like, Okay, I don't even know why I remember those details. Wow. And I'm like, okay, um, but I don't know if I should go, but I'm going to go, and my little brother's coming. And I said, Tommy, you should go back to the house. But And the guy grabs me by the arm and just starts walking. And what made you tell Tommy to go back to the house? For some reason right there, I was like, I was scared, more scared for him because okay. this is who I am. Oh, not taking wow. care of myself, but I'm yes. like, I'm going to take care of him. That's, that's right. It's kind of the You've had to be the protector the and the caretaker, yes. right. So I'm walking, he's going, we're going through this neighborhood. He goes in this uh, one driveway and then he goes, oh, well, this isn't it. And I go, I thought we were going to your house. Yeah. You don't know where you live. So he goes down another, a few blocks down, half a block down, and then he goes in another driveway heading towards the backyard and my brother is following and i kept begging my brother to go back i was like go 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 and the guy started to throw rocks at my brother oh my god so he takes me in the back yard and then he lays me on the grass and then he has sex with me and just in an open in someone's backyard in someone's backyard oh god and then um all of a sudden i hear my name and it's my dad with my cousin and my little brother I mean, not my little brother, but my, yes, my little brother, because he showed them where. And the guy jumps up and runs. And that's all I remember of that. Then my dad chased him. And then the next thing I remember is being in the bathroom, just cleaning up and, you know, just kind of like, I don't know what happened. I don't know anything. I, you know, nobody talked to me. The police talked to me, but my parents did not explain to me what happened. So I had to um, process the information myself. So you never had a conversation with your parents Not about really. how you felt or what happened? No. or I mean, They asked what happened. I told them as much as I could. Right. I was so afraid, but yeah. I also was so cut off, you yeah. know, at nine. I mean, nobody was, they were afraid. I think they were afraid of what I was going to tell them. Right. You know, so it was never that we were not that family that sat down and had those conversations. Yeah. You know, I was never taught how to do anything. I learned everything on my own, really. You know, um, did that spur your quote unquote first addiction? Because I know we've spoke, spoken about this first addiction 
you know, thing that you speak about, which was fantasy. So did that, all that trauma and this incident spur that first addiction of yours? Of course, because where does Gregory go? TV. Right. You know, and I was, it's where I first saw Sammy Davis, Ben Vereen, Chia Rivera, and Bob Fosse, you know, um, all these people, Frank Sinatra and, um, um, and Miller, you know, all these, all this fantasy. I was watching the Carol Burnett show, which was my, I didn't know how it was going to happen, but I was like, I want to do that. And I was watching the Brady Bunch. The Brady Bunch screwed me up for, <laughs> because I thought that's what I'm supposed to, that's the family. That's oh. my family. Yeah. Who was it? Cindy gets the sniffles. They call the doctor to Hello. the house. They have conversations about everything. Okay. You've been raped. Everybody's like, well, yeah, yeah keep it moving. Yes. She's got the sniffles. Okay. The doctor is at the house. Okay. Hello. Yeah. And the parents were in charge, you know. Right. Um, at that time, yes, I watched Good Times and I watched The Jeffersons, but I was also watching Maud, That Girl. I saw Diane Carroll. I just... And most of my heroes were women, you know, the power people were women. But watching this was also, and here's the other confusion. It was a lot of white faces Yes. Mm. for this little boy. So yeah. then I'm going to school. Everyone at school is calling me sissy and faggot and beating me up. I never learned how to fight. I never, I've had one fight in my life at 16. Every other time I stood there and let people beat me up. It's so weird hearing that because, you know, you see this built up body in front of us and you're like, really? <laughs> but he was, uh, you know, back then, you know, it was a very, he, it, I was a very soft, skinny right. little boy right. who wore glasses and dickies and jackets to school. And I loved school, but I would never let on how smart I was because I didn't want the attention. Because if I got attention, that meant I would get humiliated, probably. Right. Which today scares me. I, am, uh, I take the temperature of every room, every situation I go into. Because that part of me, that nine-year-old little boy still lives and he is hyper aware of surroundings yes um but that's the thing with trauma it makes you yeah, hyper vigilant exactly you know you never know who's gonna hurt no. you who's gonna who's a threat who's exactly. you know yeah especially for somebody you know who's been snatched off a street you know it's like yes. who's gonna do that you know where's this coming from absolutely that was what was happening to me you know so i was escaping through fantasy and I turned, oh, this is weird to say, but this is a realization I've had recently. I turned against black people because they hurt me. Yes. So even as I was, my first dating experiences with black men, by the time I moved to New York, I stopped doing that. Because when I left Detroit, I left Detroit. I could not wait to get out of there because I hated that place. Right. I love you now, Detroit. But back then, I was angry at my family and I was angry at black people. Well, it was uh, so many negative associations with it. I mean, yeah. at school, it, w w there was no safe place. In your own home, you were abused. You go to school, you're beat up. And here's this man, a black man, yeah. who pulls you off the street. Yeah. And, yeah. Oh. When I was in middle school, Betty Fuller... <laughs> she was the gym teacher and she had a little dance group in school she taught dance and she had me be her sound person which at that time was take the needle off put the needle on kind of the record you know right. records children i yes. see that i see that scene that's uh, so I mean, funny yeah. <laughs> right cut to cut to the little boy oh my god the yeah. player, the i don't the know on the why she thought why she had me be her sound person it's so weird i don't know how i can't remember how that happened Happened, right. but I was her sound guy for her rehearsals and she was talking to the girls about uh, her school she said I have a school I teach dance and I'm sitting there going oh okay and I went up to her after she spoke to them and I said I would like to come do you have boys and I would like to come and she said well most of the classes are girl classes and they're filled with girls but we also teach karate so would you like to start with that? And I thought, okay, 
I'll start taking karate. Yeah, and the dance cr- adjacent. Yes. <laughs> For little boys in the 70s. I love that. Come on now. A little black boy in the 70s who wants to dance. I was was like a unicorn. Yeah. She was like, (laughs) we got to get them. Betty Fuller was trying to, you know, get people in. So it's like, what do I do? I start them with karate. Right. And the karate... Um, instructor happened to be one of our dancers, but he and he was like some major black belt. He was amazing. So I started in karate at the Fuller School of Dance, and after a few classes, with that, I said to um, Mrs. Fuller, I said, I want to dance. I want to go in the class, and she said yes, and that just started, you know, me taking modern and jazz and beginner ballet, and after a while, she asked me to um, be a part of her company, the Fuller Dancers. And I started, you know, doing that. Because once again, I was a little boy who, a little black boy, and who was dancing. And she was like, oh. And I was a good performer. I really am. I'm much a much better performer than I am a technician, even though I have a few tricks back, you know, I have a few. But I was a really good performer. And do you uh, think that was, like, having that expression helped you? It saved me yeah and again at home in this confusion praying god get me out of this i'm still in it not realizing then that betty fuller was the lifeline yes didn't see that till later what are your parents thinking about you dancing my mother said no Mm. no she said you're not doing it wow because she didn't want again Y'all, I love my mother. We worked on it. But, you know, I, I remember coming home one day crying because, and she says, what's going on? She didn't like crying. And, you know, why are you crying? And and she said, um, what's going on? I said, well, the kids are calling me sissy. And this is harsh, but <laughs> she was like, if you didn't act like a sissy, they wouldn't call you a sissy. Mm. I thought, oh, so now I can't come to you with this. Yes. Okay. That's when I learned start keeping Just it keeping all inside. Keeping everything in, yeah. Keeping it all inside. So when I started dancing with Betty Fuller, oh my God, I started to be free. Right. And even though I couldn't wear flowy clothes, I could give you. I I swear you, I believe one of the things I've always had is very fluid arms. Even when I was at my biggest, and I think that's a part of that little boy who just loved to just be free and flowy and express himself yeah and express himself so now, that betty, became a part of it betty fuller was obviously one of your first heroines mm-hmm. then you met another heroine her mm-hmm. name was phyllis stowe who became a mentor of yours phyllis truly saved my life in a lot of ways because phyllis saw my family she was aware of what was going on in my household right so phyllis took it upon herself to get me out of there as much as possible and to take me under her wing and so when she um invited me to be a part of her company um phyllis would always pick me up and bring me back i was at phyllis's house i was always with phyllis my mother was so through with hearing the word phyllis (laughs) i think at some point she felt very competitive with phyllis because phyllis became my savior in a lot of ways and she taught me about dance and she introduced me to Clifford's, um, um, oh, I can't even think of Clifford's last name right now, and Perry Street Dancers and all these amazing things in Detroit that she opened, she took me to um, concerts, you know, she let, she opened up this whole world for me. And she also was the first one that encouraged me to choreograph. So she gave me the opportunity to choreograph for the company. I mean, people like this in the community are godsends to yeah and she did this for so many too she really did protect so many children and and she built a company of really strong dancers and a lot of her stuff was faith-based too which i also love you know because i was going to church you know bessie my mother's cousin who would come and again another woman in my life uh bessie would come and take us when things got rough she also was the one that took us to second baptist church every week and every sunday you know because she was like you're gonna need this (laughs) (laughs) you're gonna need some faith boo so so Bessie did that, you know, so that, you know, I, I started off, you know, going to Second Baptist and, you know, around 16, 17, I started to figure out 
um, that I wanted a freer religion that did not condemn me, you know, because I knew what was going on with me. And I knew by then I liked boys. And it's so funny because my um, coming out was so horrible. It was part, at 16, I had lied to my mother telling her I was going to a school function. Um, and she let me go. And I went to a bar, the Nickel Bar. And... Um, in Detroit? In, in Detroit. Actually, it's called The Door. I had a uh, man purse. And I left the man purse in the back seat of the car as I went in. And someone broke in the car and stole it. So I went home and I, my mother said, what happened to your bag? And I said, well, they lost it at the coat check at the um, party, the school party. Well, someone found the bag. And so my mother comes to me. I can remember, I was in the living room. She turns around the corner. And she goes, tell me again where you lost your bag. So Ooh, I tell her no. to lie. Oh, my mother loved catching you, honey. Jimmy Lou was, <laughs> she was good with that. Um... <laughs> uh, and I told the lie, and she said, you're a lie. And that was it. And we had the biggest argument, and that was my coming out. You know, it was just a lot of, I will not have a sissy. And I was like, I hate you. And it was just crazy. Wow. You know. And you were there for two more years. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, well, quite. Yeah. Three 16, more years. You left in 19? 19. Yeah. 20, yes. Yeah. So we had to deal with that. Yeah. Yeah. And how did you get to New York. Yeah. I was doing a production of, of The Nutcracker and actually no, I had gotten out of right before I graduated from high school, I had auditioned for Juilliard and um, American Academy of Dramatic Arts as an actor. I did not get either. And um, I stayed, I took a year off and I was doing The Nutcracker and one of the guys in the show said, I want to audition for Juilliard. And I said, well, let me help you because I auditioned last year. And he wanted to audition as a dancer. And I thought, well, maybe I should audition as a dancer now. And lo and behold, I send in the application everything. They call me in. I go to New York. I do the audition. And I get a scholarship. Yeah. You know, I'm like, oh, this is the route you want me to go? <laughs> okay. And then that's what did it, you know, a scholarship yeah. to Juilliard. And I end up there. I know my mom loved me. And here's where I know she loved me the most in the fact that she mortgaged the house and set me up in New York. She, we got an apartment and she gave me money, you know, and she made that happen for me. You That's know, amazing. Because, you know, my parents, you know, no tea, no shade. They truly are no, no thoughts. Yeah, no nothing. concept of what no that concept. was. Right. Yeah. When it was time and when that letter came, she was like, you're going. That's fantastic. By then, I was already singing and acting and dancing. I, you know, done so a couple of shows. So she gave up the idea of no sissy in her house. Yes. Um, you know, we went through a whole lot to get to that place but i think mostly she saw that i was very serious about this because after i danced with phyllis and even with whatever ridicule or support or no support whatever she saw that i was going to do this yeah and because i it was so much a part of me and then i ended up dancing with the carol maruso dance company and that's where um i met warren spears who became another mentor of mine and rima Vita. and rima it's so interesting because throughout my years as i have watched um bob fossey when i first saw him there was something about him that i just was attracted to and then rima was a dancer that um danced in all that jazz and she became another mentor of mine she was like okay warren likes you i like you you're an amazing dancer when you come to new york you could stay with me for a little bit and before you move into your apartment because i had a little um time before that happened and so rima was kind of my first fossey dancer that i met um and then when I did my next, my first Broadway show, which was Raggedy Ann in 86, the next Fosse dancer that I came in contact with was Gail Bennett. It was almost like a foreshadowing it, of what so was to come. It's so weird. It's so, when I look back at it, I'm like, oh, I mean, I'm watching Ben Vereen and Ann and, you know, all these people on TV. And then slowly, when I look back, I'm going, Rima? Oh, Gail Benedict? You know, it's like, it just started to make sense. I went to Juilliard. I only stayed a year. Long story. Manny uh, Rodriguez, who you all uh, interviewed, his uh, story and 
situation um, with uh, Martha Hill is a little bit different than mine. And I will say this, and I don't, it's so funny because this has been such a lie about that I've carried so much in my life. I used to tell people that I stayed um, at Juilliard for a year, which I did, but I left because I wanted to do Broadway, which okay. I did. Okay. By the time I got to Juilliard, I had already danced in companies. And I got there, Broadway, and I was like, oh my God, I can sing, I can act, that's what I want. I want right. Broadway. I don't want concert work. So I'm in Juilliard. I get um, cast in this Anna Sokolov um, piece. And back then, there are these things called reel-to-reels. That's how we looked at. <laughs> we didn't have phones and, you know, the Internet. So we would, as dancers and students, we would check out these um, reel-to-reels to watch the piece so that we could learn it before the choreographer got there. Okay. So I took the piece out, the reel-to-reel. I played it, I'm looking, I'm watching, familiarizing myself, and the, I was rewinding it, and it broke. Now, I come from a childhood where if I did anything wrong, it was like World War III. I was not, it was not the Brady Bunch. I was not caressed. We were not having a timeout. We were not talking about, what, what did you learn from this, Gregory? <laughs> yes. No. What other choices could what we have made? What other choices? It was... Wow, why did you do this? I'm not, you know, really intense. And so when this happened to me at, you know what, I think I was 20 when this whole thing happened, I got scared. And the only thing I knew to do was to hide it. Mm. So I hid the reel to reel with the intention of, oh my God, I can't believe I'm telling this story, with the intention of getting it fixed and returning it. But in the process, in that time frame, they found it. Because they asked me about it, and I lied, because I was afraid. Oh, this is uh, so, what, so heartbreaking. See, it, that's what trauma know, uh, does, and people think, oh, well, that's it's all behind you. You were just a kid when that happened. There's no reason to be afraid anymore. It's in your body. It's it, in your body. I can so you, relate to that. You carry it, and it comes out unexpected. Yeah. Mm. I was afraid to tell her what because I was the truth because I was afraid of what they were going to do and what they were going to say. Martha Hill, w another woman, <laughs> was I placed her in a, par a parental role. Yeah. So she brought me into her office. We had a conversation about it, and it ended up uh, with her saying, "We, I'm going to ask you to leave." And the, oh my goodness, I'm having a feeling right now. Because of, of the real Oh to my real? goodness. <laughs> Just, yeah. And because and I you lied. lied. Uh, because you lied. Because yeah. I lied. Because you lied. Yeah. Because you were just. And afraid. I didn't even know why I did it. So yeah. I couldn't explain it to no, her. No, it's just, exactly. It's just a automatic, you're conditioned. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I, I didn't to have the words to say, I was afraid. I'm a person who's afraid of the reactions. I didn't know what was going to, you know, blah, blah. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. But again, I leave Juilliard. And the next thing I know, I get this job in um, the Bahamas. They took, they tried to do musical theater in the Bahamas. And, <laughs> and the choreographer was Lewis Johnson. Love Lewis Johnson. Old school Lewis Johnson. And Lewis uh, got let go. And they brought in Michael Sean, God rest his soul. And Michael took a liking to my talent. So when we got back to New York, Michael was choreographing a production of Guys and Dolls at Paper Mill Playhouse. And he hired me. And that began my long association with Paper Mill Playhouse. And they gave me my first principal roles. You know, I was, you know, Jacob and Naughty Marietta. Naughty Marietta? I'm a black boy from Detroit. What am I doing in Naughty Marietta? I did Brigadoon, and because I'm a bass, uh, I have a bass voice, I was the first thing the audience, the first person the audience saw when that curtain went up. And I'm sure they were like, what's McHomie doing in, you know? But Paper Mill believed in me. You know, they believed in me. And that started my uh, musical theater career there. And then I made my Broadway debut in Raggedy Ann in 86, which, again, Gail Benedict, Patricia Birch, and she choreographed the opening. And I was the first person she brought out. And I was what? In a derby and white gloves, very Bob very Fawcett, Fawcett, doing, yes. fa giving you tea hands. <laughs> yes. And she loved how fluid my arms were. And she allowed me to express myself that way. And she choreographed the opening for me. And mm. there I was doing that. 
It only lasted for three days, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> we closed swiftly. Yeah, but this, but this is all, you know, destiny for you because yeah. I mean, you become part of the Chicago musical family. You were an associate producer, and choreographer. I mean, I'm sorry, associate uh, choreographer. Mm-hmm. And it was like destined that you were going to be in this musical for so long. You were there for so long. What was the first production? Were you in the first? I was in the first national that starred Jasmine Guy and Charlotte Dembois. Right. Uh, And we were the first national tour. And here's the deal. I had been in the room with Bob Fosse and Gwen Verdon before that. Uh, And Bob and I have had conversations and he worked with me. I learned brass band from Gwen. You know, I I did. You know, I was there. And I, but I was always, uh, uh, was it um, bridesmaid, never bride? Mm -hmm. Because I would never, I was always at the final callback and never got it. I was like, uh. I auditioned for Big Deal. I auditioned for Sweet Charity, all with Bob. And so I was like, okay, maybe that's not going to happen. And then I had actually stopped dancing for a while because I was singing and acting a lot more. And then I saw in backstage, um, Anne Reinking was choreographing a production, a tour of applause. And I was like, oh my God, I love Anne Reinking. I have her posters on my wall. So I'm going to take a dance class and go to the audition big mistake i went to luigi's and took a dance class not after not dancing for like three years or something <laughs> child when i went to that audition my body i woke up that morning i was like girl what did you do <laughs> my body was so sore <laughs> i was like uh, but i we do the combination the chicky and uh and cuts me she was like, thank you. Wow. I was devastated. Devastated. Oh, no. I'm getting my bag to leave. I'm like ready to cry and then go home and have a cocktail. And she comes up to me and she goes, excuse me, do you sing? And I said, yes. And she says, do you really sing? Ew. And I was like, yes. And she was like, stay. I was like, okay. Long story, I ended up getting a show. She partnered me with Stephanie Powers from Heart to Heart. Yes. A big production number. And we did it. And I'm doing what I do. I'm, you know, partnering with Stephanie and blah, 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 doing everything. And at one point, I remember leaving the rehearsal and Anne goes, Gregory, I appreciate you so much. And she said, Bob would have loved you. Oh. And I went, oh, thank you. He didn't love me enough to hire me, but okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> So then that show didn't work. We closed on the road, and um, but it was the same producers of Chicago, and Chicago was blowing up. It just happened at City Center uh, Encores, and then they were getting ready, and they opened on Broadway, and they were on the front page of the Times, which had not happened in eons. We were closing. I think we closed in Baltimore, and the producers came. Fran and Barry came down to close us, and Barry said that we will do everything in our possible to keep, uh, our powers to keep you all working. And the next thing I know, when I got back to New York, they called me in to audition for Chicago. And um, I get the show. The GM, general manager, calls me to offer me the show. And he says, you're going to do this, Harry, the role of Harry, first national tour. And you're going to be dance captain. And I went, oh, you know what? I'm going to say yes to the show and no to the dance captain. <laughs> oh, wow. I totally. Because I had never danced captain. And I was like, I don't know what that is. And, well, I know what it is, but I've never done it. And he goes, Gregory, when Anne Reinking asks you to dance captain her show, you do not say no. Hello. And I was like, okay, yes. Changed my life. It changed my life. And later I was doing, I got the honor to do the original show, Here Lies Jenny, starring, um, that I helped create along with, Sean Imam Jermaine and Bibi Newworth to start BB. It was kind of BB's answer to her cabaret. And we both and we did it at the same time we were doing Chicago. We would leave do Chicago and then leave and go to the blank the the um theater off Broadway and do the show at eleven o'clock at night. Oh my it goodness. was crazy times. But during the opening night I sat Anne down and I said, Why did you asked me to be dance captain. I'd never done it. And she said, I watched you in the rehearsals during applause. I watched how you took care of Stephanie Powers. You were nurturing. You were helpful. And I said, that's who I want to dance captain my show. Mm. And that's what happened. And it changed my life. 
the show changed my life. I performed it for 15 years, and I've been with it since 97. I'm still, you know, teaching the dolls. I call them my dolls. Well, I I mean, and in that vein, you're still nurturing because you introduce and choreograph and teach all the new girls that are going into the show and and they're all the celebrity ladies that go into the show there something magical happens in these one-on-one rehearsals when it's just you and another artist in a room and you're trying to help them get from point a and point b here's the funny thing for me and this is ties back to my childhood which as a kid, I hated so much. I hated what I had to go through, um, being the um, calm in the middle of the storm. And why do I have to take care of my parents like this? Why, why, why? And here is where I call it transferable emotional and spiritual skills. I got to you transfer this say <laughs> into my work because. I was able to be so sympathetic, empathetic, and help these actors get from point A to point B. Some of these um, actors would come in and have not had the dance experience that most people have had. So they needed someone who is going to be able to be encouraging, be mother, father, even therapists, because there are times when we just need to, okay, what's going on? I'm sure. You, times you want to break down, times yes. you're tired, you feel you can't do it. I mean, it's a very demanding, those are very demanding roles. And, yes. you know, amazing for actresses to do. Like, I can understand why so many people want would want to do it. It's exactly. like a career height, you know, yeah, exactly. to being able to do it. But at the same time, it's like, oh, I mean, you're... You're working. Yes, you exactly. Know? Yeah, and sometimes you know. And look, I've been in the as I've been staring at myself since I was fourteen in the mirror. I have judged every part of this body, and there's nothing you can say about it that I haven't already said. I've tried to perfect it, and I've done everything. So I've worked out a lot of that. Right. These um, actors come in, and they have not spent that much time staring at themselves. Yeah. And some of them would have, you know, they would have some feelings about it. And I was able to, because of what I've gone through in my life, I was able to be there for them. Yes. I know what it is to sit down and have a conversation with somebody who is in in it. Yes. Going through all those emotions. Going through all of it. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that divine strategy. Yeah. God working in my life going, see, and these are not just like any old people. These are like stars, like Brandy Norwood, uh, Usher, Rita Wilson, Melanie Griffith, Patrick Swayze, Jennifer Holiday, Patty LaBelle. I mean, it, the list goes on and on and crazy. on. It's crazy the people that I've gotten to be a part of. I got to be in a rehearsal room one on one with Cheetah Rivera for two weeks. Wow. Just us. Me teaching her, Roxy. Ooh. You teaching Cheetah Cheetah Rivera Rivera, the role of Roxy. Oh, my God. It was the high point of my life. I mean. And then Annie would come in, and one day they... Annie came and the two of them. Is this Anne Rankin? Yes, it's Anne. I love how you're calling Anne Rankin (laughs) Annie. I know her as Anne. I know. know. You might know her as Anne Rankin. I know her as Anne. Yes. Annie would come in. Annie came in and the two of them danced nowadays together. And then they seriously looked at me and went, okay, no, you got notes? What? You're like, oh, I'm giving them them notes. I'm like, okay, first of all, you, Cheetah Rivera, originated this show. <laughs> okay. You and Riking choreographed this show. I'm just a little black boy from Detroit. Where yeah. Where you? And I thought, I, I'm I'm 12 years old I, right now. Oh, I'm thinking <laughs> if they could see. Me. <laughs> I'm so, like, how did this happen? Yeah. How did this happen? Oh. And God. I gave them notes because, and here's the fierce thing about them: they wanted to learn. They wanted to know, how can I be better? The mm. biggest lesson, one of the biggest lessons I've learned in my life, it's like, these women want to know, this is why they're legends. Exactly. Yes. Because they have not gotten to that point where they go, uh, I know, you can't tell me nothing. You can't tell me nothing? Yeah. I danced this from Bob Fawcett. What? What are you going to tell me? That's like, right. I no. literally learned this from yeah. Bob Fawcett. Exactly. What are you going to tell exactly. me? Wow. So... It, it changed my life. It changed George Hamilton. I 
adore that man. I mean, watching him create the role of Billy Flynn that fit for him and then sitting with him and hearing his stories, nothing like it. I mean, Melanie Griffiths, we had a rehearsal period again where Annie came in and the two of them just started talking about old Hollywood and I'm sitting there. My nine-year-old little gay boy is just like, heaven. Yes. Talk about it. Yes. You know? So I've been really, She's the daughter of Tippi Hedren, y'all, if you don't know Melanie Griffith. Oh, yeah. Come on, work. The original working girl. Yeah. Hello. And here's the other thing. And she's become a really good friend of yours. I was getting ready to say, the other part of it is, is that these relationships have lasted in my life. Yes. It's it's amazing. It's well, amazing. It's, it's such a intimate experience. I mean, to go through that together, you exactly. know, to, to give birth to this performance, you know, exactly. to go through all the rehearsal and the making it, bringing it to life. Mm-hmm. It's a bonding. And, and we end experience. up talking about stuff that is very personal. Yeah. You know, because we all have our experiences and we're all right there in that moment having these conversations. That's right. Oh, you're feeling like that? Well, I've been there. Right. You know, this is hard for me too. So it's been a huge, huge lesson for me. And then also I've gotten to travel the world and choreograph because in 2005, they asked me to be associate again, Annie asked me to be associate choreographer and that blew me away. You know, I started in Copenhagen and, you know, I I was standing in Red Square in um, Russia and I thought, how did I get here? Oh my goodness. What a journey. What? Yes. I mean, I've been to Korea. I've been to Argentina. I have, honey, I'm saying, you know, don't cry for me on the balcony. I, I you know, it's like. It and this is all such... started from a little karate class. Head ear. Yes. Head ear. But uh, the fact that you had uh, the, you had the wherewithal to ask, I want to be in your dance class. I mean, even with what you had been through and being this kid who was very fearful to know, like something in you pull and said, I'm going to speak up and say, I want to be in your class. I want to do this. I think it's just that divine moment where, you know, this opportunity and just, I won't even say preparation because I don't even know what I was prepping for. It's just my spirit just went. Yeah. It's like, oh, that. Yes. That. And it served me well, you know. So where does the where does the nickname come from? Yes, yes. that's what I wanted to talk about. Gregory Butler, y'all. Yes, oh, Gregory John. Butler, the body of Broadway, and you know, talking about things that serve him well, right? Yes. I mean, Greg is you know over six feet tall and is a mountain Adonis. of a man, and uh, it was called the body of Broadway. Let's talk about how that came to be. You know, uh, I was doing. I've always been cut. You know, but I, I mean, I'm a dancer. It was a dancer body. I mean, thin, 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 but very cut. Yeah. And I was doing a show at Art Park and one of the dancers was very buff. And he said, I bet if you go to the gym, you'll bulk up. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and so he took me to the gym, to the YMCA. He put two twenty fives on. I could barely lift them. I was like, oh my God, it's so heavy. But something happened. It, it freed my spirit spirit in a whole nother way right and it also was like therapy for me going there and my body really adapted quickly and it changed quickly and i got big 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 and that's you know without steroids (laughs) um i love going to the gym and it worked for my career and by the time i got to chicago chicago came around i i know it's one of the reasons why um you know they were like, oh, look at that. <laughs> and look, it's not like I was doing Beauty and the Beast where I was covered up as, you know, the cheese grater. Chicago is a show that is all about the razzle-dazzle. Yes. So we hire amazing, beautiful people, and then we dress them to be amazing and beautiful. They're yeah. most perfect selves. So I was in a costume with these tight dance pants, thank you, William Ivy Long, and an open vest. And I was giving you pecs, arms, and not just six, but eight abs. Uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> today when I only have one. But, um, and it... I have none. I got... <laughs> they're in there. Hey, they're they're somewhere. in here somewhere. Hey. I tell you. But, you know, and I just became, I was really big for a Broadway, for a dancer. Right. And buff for a dancer. Yeah. But it worked. And, you know, I did a few Broadway Bears. And it's so funny because the year I got sober, I had done Broadway Bears quite a bit. The year I got sober was the year that they asked me to do my real first solo strip. 
And I just was like, oh my God, I'm going to be <laughs> butt naked. Oh, wait, hold on. Broadway, but uh, your, your, your butt booty naked. Mm-hmm. Butt booty naked. Oh, wow. We stripped down to nothing. It's a charity it's event. For Broadway Cares, like if I say, it's amazing. Yeah. Jerry Mitchell started it. It's, and it's still going strong, still going strong. And I've had some amazing, they've given me some amazing opportunities to dance in that. And, but my, my solo strip was the year, the very year I got sober. And uh, I did it. I was, and you know, there was the body, and I'm thankful for the photos. I mean, at work. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. As it all starts to, you know, go right. the, another way, I'm like, there it is. Take that, children. Okay. You I, literally... I will say this get photos. That's Always funny. say yes Always. to the photos. Document. <laughs> Document it. <laughs> Works hard on that body. Document okay. it. Yes. But yeah, you were literally probably the most buff and tallest and biggest guy on Broadway at one point. Yeah. I mean, you were, I mean, it was uh, hard to not notice you. It's interesting because even when I was on the tour, the reviewers would say for someone with such body mass, he moves very, he moves like water. And that was kind of my, I was like, oh my God, this goes back to little boy who is, you know, loves to wear flowy clothes and just, you know, be liquid. So I was like, they see me, they see me, you know. Did at any point this body image uh, and this upkeep of your vessel turn in a way that you did not like it to turn? Well, did it become more, did we go, did it go past your body? Well, it's so funny because that building of the body, which I didn't understand again, you know, all this is in perspective, you know, looking back on it all, it was my armor. It, I was like, okay, now I'm 6'3 with all this body. No one will A, call me sissy and B, snatch me off the street. That's right. It will not happen. It won't happen. I didn't set out for that. Right. But I saw that that would not happen. I mean, I knew that when I walked into a room, I mean, people were like, and believe me, even with my size, I was still wearing, you know, shirts from Baby Gap. So it was even bigger than you would think because I was, you know, serving it. Well, it's interesting you talk about building up the armor because you're building up this armor physically. But then as we talked about at the top of the show, you were talking about being in trauma therapy. It's like you have to let down the armor spiritually you know mentally so how what's that been like in the trauma therapy what kind of what kind of therapy it's so interesting i'm just starting emdr oh you are yes i'm obsessed with starting starting emdr the only therapist i found that takes my insurance is in hawthorne i'm like damn it that's far i know (laughs) jeez y'all i'm saying so i gotta deal with all this trauma i'm gonna be trying new therapy after i get back from the how did she just go uh, get a flashlight and start doing it on her own? <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> you know, the interesting thing is nothing is a mistake. When I, I moved here nine years ago, I, I've, I'd been performing Chicago for 15 years. And I realized I was, this is going to sound so ego, but I was sitting in, I just closed the, opened the show in um, Amsterdam and I was sitting there. And I thought, oh my God, I have to go. Okay, I'm going back to Chicago, going back to my job. I've been doing this for so long. Is there anything else I can do? And I used to tell my actors all the time, when you hear that little whisper of the voice that says, leave, go, listen. Because if you stay too long, you're, you're going to start becoming that part, that seed that makes everybody unhappy. Yes. There is a time to leave. And I thought, okay, well, maybe I just need a change. So I went, I asked the producers if I could have a time off. I went and did another Broadway show. That was a flop, but be, not a flop. Well, it didn't run, which is a flop. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to be Basically. so PC. <laughs> but what it gave me was a time to hear my spirit because I was, you know, 24-7 Chicago. And when I had this time to hear, the spirit said, move to L.A. You're going to L.A. I thought I was coming out here for a visit, but I actually came out here to live. And in the process and not performing Chicago the whole time and trying to figure out what I'm doing, I hurt my spirit even more. And it was time to do some work that I hadn't done. 
And it really, the last four years, four years ago was the last time I choreographed a production of Chicago in Copenhagen. And I have since then come up against financial stuff because I did not figure out what I do when I'm not doing Chicago. Hmm. When you, yeah, I'm very blessed. Not too many people ha are, have the opportunity to have longevity in a show like this. That's Chicago right. is the second longest running show in, in history. Broadway history. Yeah, in history. And the longest American musical in Broadway history. It's been running for 23 years. My friend Donna Marie Asbury just left the show and she stayed 20. Um, so that's a very rare thing. But what that gave me was a false sense of security. So when I moved out here, I hadn't really, I didn't really have a plan because I came out here, A, because my sobriety had, and my life had flatlined in New York. I'd been there for 30 years. So this was like, what's next? And my sponsor at the time said to me, what do you do when you're not doing Chicago? And my ego was like, what do you mean? <laughs> I'm always I'm, doing right, Chicago. I'm never not doing yeah. Chicago. I'm, never not. I'm gonna be fine. Thank you, Boo. Yeah. Uh, uh -uh. Worry about then, what you're doing. <laughs> and then four years ago, the Chicago's kind of you know I'm not doing so many productions, and then I'm trying to figure out, and then you're scrambling, and then what it did, I'm not on red carpets anymore. I'm not you know traveling anymore, and what I had to do, I had to look at my life, and I went, oh. I'm not res as financially responsible as I should have been. And it started this um, journey for me to find help with that. And that put me in a program called DA, Debtors Anonymous. And I was sitting there with my um, PRG team and we were talking about the numbers and my finances. And then someone, one of the people asked about my mom and he's watched me and he said, Okay, I have to ask you something. Talk to me about your mom and trauma in your life. And I was like, what's going on? He was like, your body changed. And my hand started to shake. And I didn't even realize it. And he made a suggestion. He was like, I think I want you to look at trauma therapy. And that was two years ago. And it has changed my life. I've gone deeper into the who, what, why, and where of my life than I have in my whole life. And it took God, I call God, removing my shiny for a moment in order for me to take notice yes of not just my body on the outside but my spirit i needed to do some serious caretaking and uncovering that's and right it's been rough it's been the most challenging of my life these last four years and i've wanted to give up my friends have surrounded me and I'm going to be really real here. I couldn't pay my rent. My friends helped. I could not uh, buy groceries and my friends helped. I have not gone homeless and I've not gone hungry. God has taken care of me and that's been through. He has used the people in my life to do that. And what it's done is given me a time to um, do some internal work. And that's where I am now. And the beauty of it is, as I travel, because I've been going back and forth to um, Copenhagen to work with the Central Musical Theater School. I get to direct um, students there in their graduation and showcase and um, teach. And when I teach now, I share all this with them because they see me as, uh, you know, oh my God, you're associate choreographer of Chicago, you're on the pedestal, you've done this, you've been with all these people, and da, da, And so it must be all lovely. And I get to share with them the other part of it. That's right. So there is a truth, and I'm very open with them. I'm like, let's have the conversations. These are the disappointments. These are the challenges. These are the hurdles. These are the things you need to look forward to and be aware of i am speaking to you from the future you know somebody who's gone through it you know so i get to share that with them and it humanizes me with them they get to hopefully be responsible artists it's such a thing that people don't really talk about you know how to prepare yourself like you go to these conservatory schools and you have all this training in arts yeah and you don't really know how to manage money or no. be you know and most of us are under earners because we have no idea how to negotiate for ourselves and right. dancers are the worst uh and dancers are still at the low part of the totem pole that's right and you know 
always asked to dance on concrete or, you know, dance in situations that they shouldn't and conditions that they should not. And it's the quickest of the arts when it comes to time to go away yeah. because of our bodies. Yes. You know, our time clock is quick, boo, yeah. compared to a singer actor, yeah. you know? And people bank on the dreamers, meaning they take advantage of it. That's right. And I'm here to tell the kids, stand up for yourself. You are an artist. You know, you are an actor who just happens to move. Yes, you are a dancer, but you are also a business person. So be in your union, take care of the conditions, be responsible for yourself and other dancers, and get your money. Get your and money. And then take care of your money. Get your money, okay. take care of your Open money. Open the bills, pay attention. <laughs> Please. Okay. <laughs> oh my God. You uh, are such an inspiration, I know, to me, and I know you're an inspiration to countless people through your teaching um, and your example. And my God, Greg, I am so happy that we were able to speak with you here today. Thank you. Thank I mean, you so much. Yeah. Whew. This has been a... We know we're going to go that. to church on Sunday. Oh, it's Sunday, y'all. We up here like, woo, where's my Cheering. family? Hey. I love you, Mom. Yeah. I love you, Jimmy Lou. I love you, Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Well... This is I we I can't go anywhere but say thank you and uh, mm-hmm. good night. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this has been another episode of Work the Podcast. Now, don't forget, you guys, you can follow us on Instagram at Work Podcast, and you can also follow me on my Work Dance Class. It's W E R Q U E Dance Class dot com, and come dance with me and take my two hour Vogue workshop if you want and have fun with me where else can they see us and speak to us and reach out to us Kim? well you can of course subscribe apple podcast leave us a rating or review if you enjoy the podcast we'd appreciate it and we love hearing from you guys so you can email us at workpodcast at gmail.com we welcome your comments you know your works you can just drop them via email fabulous thank you so much you guys thank you guys you guys thank Thank you. you